0: As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments.
1: This is the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today, have Gareth Southgate and his England side proven a point with their World Cup qualification? And can their youngsters stake a claim for Qatar? Meanwhile, Scotland have liftoff under Steve Clark, Can they make it as well? Will Dean Smith rescue Norwich? And who's the greatest British player of all time? This is The Game. Welcome back. England are into the World Cup. They finished top of group high. They battered Albania 5 0 at Wembley before their massive, record breaking 10 0 win in San Marino. Harry Kane scored four. Got a hat trick against Albania at Wembley as well. It is the first time England have scored 10 in a World Cup or Euros qualifier. In fact, it's the first time they've scored 10 since May of 1964 against the United States. I'm Hugh Croft. Let's start with England. Addison Rudd, Gregor, Robertson and Tom Clark with me for the next hour or so and look I'm going to dive straight in with the sensationalist stuff you know it's the time so that's what we do Harry Maguire the England centre-back he scored the first goal against Albania he cupped his ears he put his fingers in his ears a centre-back doing a knee slide should be banned we'll leave that to one side he got called embarrassing by the former Manchester United captain Roy Keane so Alisson has Harry Maguire over the past couple of games answered any of his critics in any way whatsoever
2: by doing an knee slide? Uh, no. There's a, a dual narrative for Harry Maguire, and he's got to get his head around it. So I'm prepared to cut him some slack for going over the top and his reaction to the crowd. He's narr- got his narrative at Manchester United and his narrative with England. And with England, it's been a reasonable trajectory chosen when he wasn't with a top six club. They loved the way he would. England management loved the way he would bring the ball out of defence. He's our type of defender. He's comfortable on the ball, reliable at the back. We like the way he gets forward and can threaten to score. And he seemed like, I don't know, it's the sort of defender England needed. There, there was a lot of rabbits and headlights stuff going on at that time. So that looked like, he, he, I don't know, he felt like he was perfect. And then he, he got his move to Manchester United, which has been tricky and of course regardless of of how well or badly United are doing it's a different type of pressure and you're expected to put in different type of performances when you're playing for a club that's supposed to be the biggest club in the world so he has struggled I think he's probably wrong to in, in a way converge the narratives and that's what he's been doing so when I look at him I see somebody who almost isn't quite sure who he is anymore and he was just so relieved to feel useful (laughs) that he put that that sort of relief reaction out there but it doesn't answer your critics because the opponents have been so ridiculously weak and it does look slightly embarrassing if you're overexcited about trouncing a part time pub team so no he hasn't answered his critics but I I will cut him some slack because I think it's been a tricky few years for, for Harry Maguire
1: Gregor, have you ever had one of these moments, you know, roundly criticized by the Grimsby <laughs> comet and you and you score a towering a header Grimsby ter- Telegraph, excuse it. me, yeah. And uh <laughs> and and criticised roundly but but you know responding with a big goal and, and a big celebration? Please tell me you have. No. Oh. <laughs> Do you think Harry Maguire did answer? Anyone? Anyone at all? <laughs> no, look, it wouldn't have done him any harm. He, to
3: to 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 score a couple of goals. But when he goes back to Man United, the, the spotlight will be back on him again. That's the same with with Harry Kane. He's he's this will help him. Will give him a massive boost of confidence because both players have endured difficult starts to, to the Premier League season. Um, but answering critics, no, I think he needs to kind of, he needs to up
1: his game in the Premier League to do that. Finally on this, Tom, should the likes of, of Roy Keane stay out of it? Is it a little bit over the top, a little bit, you know, he called he called Harry Maguire embarrassing, but is it embarrassing for Roy Keane to criticise the captain of, of the club that he used to play for in this way publicly?
4: Mm, perhaps in this context, yeah, perhaps in an international context in relation to England, yes. I think Roy Keane actually has been proved to make some quite... Uh, pertinent points about Manchester United as we've discussed recently but yeah I think when it comes to England I do get the sense sometimes that with some of the punditry it's a little bit deliberately sensationalist and you know it's, every, everything with England under Gareth Southgate is, is a, a positive often which is why a lot of the players like joining up with England you know Raheem Sterling is another one who's talked about it before in terms of club v country that's a great position for Southgate and for England to be in that these players particularly when you see quite a lot of players dropping out Of the squad, and you know, most of them will probably be featuring in the Premier League fairly soon, I'm sure. Those little injuries and knocks. It's great that he's got players like Maguire, Kane, who are desperate to play, want to play in
1: these games where really they could go, nah, boss, I'm all right. leave me on the bench. Let's move to Harry Kane next then. A few records broken in the 10-0 win over San Marino. Kane's the first player since Tommy Taylor in the 1956-7 season to score a hat-trick in consecutive caps for England's men. And he's the first England male player to score four goals in a game since Ian Wright against San Marino back in 1993. These two games, I think, were good for Harry Kane's confidence. I got to speak to him on Friday. He says the manager, Gareth Southgate... And his new club manager, Antonio Conte, want him to be a penalty box player. So all of this dropping deep, Tom, that I know you respected him for last season, it's done. What does that mean for Harry Kane? Will we see the best of him now? Poor old Harry Kane, eh? Honestly, just when we've just got used to this new dropping
4: deep role, he's got to change it all up again. Look, it will be good. It did feel a little bit watching it like the big lad in the playground, didn't it? particularly against San Marino. Give me the ball. I want to score another one. Give me the ball. No, I'm taking the penalty. I don't know whether that's necessarily a good thing. I want to be in the box, all this kind of stuff. He's a complete forward and I think that's incredibly limiting to say get in the box, Harry. I don't I don't really think that will necessarily suit him or England or Tottenham, personally.
3: It d- depends how, how well the team around him's functioning. Let's be brutally honest, there was nothing to learn from England's game against San Marino. I think... Albania first half England were outstanding mm-hmm. and like you know Albania are a great footballing nation but they they collected 18 points in the group and they're not absolute mugs and England made them look like mugs in the first half and Harry Kane was a big part of that he's you know that kind of bicycle kick finish as well you think wow this is yeah he's an elite elite striker um, so getting the best from him and, and as I say a kind of functioning attack around him that's that's Conte's biggest challenge and England, really. And the thing about, particularly the first half against Al- Albania, was the extent to which the midfield work just were supporting and were pushing on. You know, both Henderson and Phillips were, you know, really pressing and supporting in an attack as well and getting up around Kane. And you know, Henderson, Henderson in particular, was linking well with them. So I think it's all. You know, yes, you want Harry Kane in the box finishing off opportunities, but you can only do that if
1: he's getting the getting the supply. Rhys James, by the way, as well. Absolutely fantastic from wingback. I enjoyed the wingback system, got to say, uh, against Albania on Friday night. And it was a great atmosphere too. Uh, Gareth Southgate said he wanted to give the crowd over 80,000 inside Wembley a performance. I think they got that as well. And I think the reports on Friday were that um, Gareth Southgate will stay in charge of England until the next Euros 2024. Good decision.
2: Yes, of course, it's a good decision. Doubled his
1: salary though six million quid. Apparently, uh, is he worth
2: that?
4: Bargain. Trusting, <laughs> trusting Gareth. Remember, trusting Gareth. Guys, absolute bargain. If you
2: were to, if you were on the FA board and you were doing your pros and cons and writing a list of all the things Gareth has done and Gareth could possibly do, then you would keep him on and you would probably give him a pay rise. I think it's more interesting. We all know how. Decent a bloke he is. How eloquent he is! He's got a lot of a lot of young players almost adoring him. That didn't used to happen with the England setup. He seems to be managing Premier League managers very well. So it's been flipped now. So it used to be the England managers would just bemoan the fact they hardly knew the players, and they had to get on the phone to managers and beg for players to be released and do deals, packs. Saying, "I promise I'll only pay him for forty minutes. I won't play him for more." And it was like the. Balance of power was completely in favour of the Premier League clubs, and now you get managers having to speak in the press conferences, boosting the confidence of the players that they're cross that the England manager isn't using. I mean, he's completely flipped it on its head. There's a lot, a lot of young talent, and the fact that they're keen to at least make their country equal to their club is a huge step in the right direction. So, if I was, if I had power at the FA, I would like that about him. The doubt about the only doubt about Southgate is when it comes to the absolute crunch you know two tournaments on the trot he's made the same mistakes and did they do an interview with him has he told them I know what I'd do next time I mean I don't I don't really get the impression he's going to change and there's always a doubt there's always a doubt that with so many tweaks so many young players coming through that lack of experience will again rear its head when it comes to the crunch games in the next tournament and the one after that.
1: I'm keen to uh, read this feature, Alison Rudd, if I had power at the <laughs> FA,
2: get it commissioned,
1: Tom. What do you think, Gregor? Does he deserve the extended contract? Does he deserve the increased salary? And, and what do you think he can deliver when he took over in the 12th, I think, in the world rankings now up to the top three? Does he
3: deserve it? Absolutely. Um, does he deserve the pay rise? I think, if you're in Southgate's position, and you can say I'm the most successful England manager since Alf Ramsey, then it's a pretty good bargaining position.
1: Alf Ramsey was on a quid a week, probably. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a lot bigger but salary. Th- I think this
3: is this is the world we live in. That's that's the that's the going rate for whether he is a top manager or not. He's 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 uh, he's done more than any England manager, as we say, for fifty odd years. So absolutely, what can he do? I again, it was Albania, but I, I, I was watching that first half and thinking. I mean, really, you're you're in that group of favourites for any major tournament now. That's what that's what England are. You should have very little to complain about, I think. Although I know you're picking over, you know, picking the bones of the way you've 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 exited the last two major tournaments, which is which is fair enough. But I, I agree. The other thing, watching that, you know, you're saying that you like the, the the three four three. It also made you realise that when you play, when when England play with that kind of intensity. It it really doesn't matter about yeah, the system. We're yeah. poor of it. We we are, we are as guilty as anyone. Yeah. shouldn't have one or two in midfield, a four at the back, three at the back. It actually when they play like that with that kind of intent and desire intensity, it kind of doesn't matter. Yeah, and I, they so looked I, very I, well balanced as well in that game. And again, it is Albania, mm-hmm. but they looked like they looked like a proper team. And uh, yeah, they they could win the World Cup.
1: I mean, I I said after that game, if England played with that application intensity power, you know, they would be, I think, a force to be reckoned with by any team. If they, especially in that first half against Albania, were playing against one of the top teams in the world, we would have a chance of winning. We've got quality. Every individual player has enough quality for an international squad. The bench is deep. It is all about how England perform on the evening. But I think that was a step forward even though it was against albania but tom a lot of people i think when we've got to the end of the qualification and the way that it ended of course with a 10-0 victory over san marino um raising questions over i, I think the strength of qualification in in, in the wafer pools james gearbrandt's written about the ease of england's qualification you can read that in today's time as uh, times as well and i I tend to agree with him. If you actually look at the World Cup qualification groups in Europe, four of the 10 games came down to what was essentially a playoff between the top two teams. And another group came to the final game with the top two teams level on points. So I don't really think there's a need to, to question qualification, even though we had Andorra and San Marino in our group. I still think England were one of the teams that made qualification look easy. And that's that should be a, a credit to them.
4: Absolutely, yeah. And I think James makes the other point that a lot of other big nations find it difficult at times. And, you know, we can all, you don't have to go very far back to the golden generation and Sven Goran Eriksson and England making it very, very difficult for themselves in games where they, where Gareth Southgate and the boys would have won 3 0 and said, thanks very much, see you later. So, and James also makes the very interesting point that I think is probably true that we'll end up heading down a route where the San Marinos of this world will be pocketed off into a pre qualification qualification type group system where it's kind of tables to reach the final end goal probably which might make things more competitive and interesting for England but for now as Gregor says I really just think let's be grateful for how easy that uh, how
1: easy Southgate makes it look
2: hang on a minute though
1: you don't want San Marino involved do you you're anti San Marino
2: (laughs) James also makes the point that this is Egalitarian. Mm. This is pure com- competition. Nobody determines the result beforehand. It's eleven men against eleven men. Well, they don't. I mean, that sounds that sounds very pleasant. But if you're good and you're from San Marino, you don't play for San Marino. You go off. You just go off.
1: And play and play for who?
2: Well, you just make sure oh, your well, grandmother, yeah. <laughs> grandmother, you, you, you will have an Italian grandmother. So you just go off. <laughs> I mean, it's, there's no there's no
1: but
4: that's a failing of a different system, though, isn't it? That's not a failing of the way the World Cup qualifying is set up. That, I that's a se- that's surely a set. There's, no, there's if- been no
2: there's been no progression. If you're San Marino and you're bottom, I mean, there's no progression there. They are relentlessly rubbish. And they're not trying to make themselves better. They've had the same coach for five years or something. I mean, it's like never mind they, putting
4: her in charge of the English FA. Put her in charge of the San Marino <laughs> FA. But, Do it.
2: But it's. I think. I think we're being patron- patronising to say. Oh, it's wonderful that they're in England's group. Every five minutes, we we we, fe- we faced them what, eight or nine times in the past eight years or something. I mean it's ridiculous it's not wonderful
3: that they're in England's group it's wonderful that they're, they're there. in it's a wonderful group.
2: that they're there and no, it's not wonderful that they're there because they're not looking after themselves there but, are uh, many they're not improving probably saying that they're without not, any real knowledge of, of San Marino's workings <laughs> they don't look better now than they did 10 years ago
1: Okay. Yeah, but should every team look better? I mean, there are loads of mid-tier teams that, that, that we would feel nothing about because they finish in the middle of groups all the time and they, they're probably not going anywhere either. They Where's haven't the, improved, no, no. but they've got some better players. So they get 10 points in a qualification group instead of two points and we don't even think about them.
2: Where's the progression? Where's the sense of we can turn our tininess into an asset? Like Iceland did. I mean, you look at Iceland, that the size of Croydon and they made their, how tiny they were work for them because they said look we all know each other people watching us they're related to us there's a connection they had that power of family
1: but they didn't have a, an Italian grandmother so they all played for Iceland so its it goes back to what you said I agree with you then in, in that regard no
2: one makes you find a Relative, you just go for it. I don't. I don't know. I just don't think we should be patronisingly nice to San Marino. Isn't it lovely that they're there? Because if
1: we were in their position, I, I would you say know. that? If, if, we, I was, if, if I was from, if you were from San Marino, would you not want to we, be in a, a qualification group with England?
2: I'd be petitioning to to have a better organisation so that we can actually cause an upset. What's the point of watching a game? I I disagree with James Gearbrand when he said it was eleven men against eleven men and anything can happen. No, it couldn't, and that's what most other clubs and countries do they make you have that sense of something could happen it never happens for them
1: but isn't isn't every sport like that at least no, you want to be the thing is they're a nation that's that's the important thing
2: barely <laughs> barely nation i mean
3: barely well they are and that's why they're allowed to enter so personally i think that should that should always be the case oh, well, then, I, I, it's I then it's
2: a privilege and they should use that privilege to somehow that's, that's their choice somehow improve
1: that's their choice Right. I didn't think we'd be arguing about San Marino's <laughs> place in, in world football, but there you are. Anything can happen on this podcast rather than in football. Listen, let's talk about a little bit more. Unless anyone wants to add something on the, the qualification. Do you want to see it changed or anything like that? Everyone's happy. Right. Let's move on a little bit and talk about another piece in The Times today. And it is, it's around 50 debutantes for England so far Uh, under Gareth Southgate's reign Conor Gallagher becoming the latest the 50th player to make a debut after Jesse Lingard back in 2016 but the piece also talks about some of the players who've made their debuts under Southgate and their importance or future importance in the England side Declan Rice is the first player to be outlined Tom and I think he is very important very very important a lot hinges on him in terms of Gareth Southgate and how he wants to play Jordan Henderson came back in this squad and looked very, very good, particularly against Albania as well. Do you think he can stake a claim to be in that midfield when we get to the next World Cup? I think Henderson's
4: experience always gives him a chance, but I think the Rice-Phillips combo has to be leading the way so far. I mean... of all the nonsense that I've talked on this podcast over the last couple of years when I said that I didn't think Declan Rice was a midfielder and that he was a ball playing defender that's probably up there isn't it in terms of the biggest load of rubbish because <laughs> increasingly both for West Ham and England he just looks absolutely dominant in midfield his his ability to bring the ball forward his passing just continues to impress and as the piece mentions by uh, Willis he kind of sets England's tempo quite a lot of the time particularly in these games against the lower nations when your Sterlings, your Canes are kind of being tightly man-marked further up the pitch. It's it's on Rice to quicken the tempo, to find a pass, to cut through an opposition, two, two banks of defence. So he starts, for me, in midfield. He's probably, the cliche, one of the first names on the team sheet at the moment, I would say, um, along with kind of the likes of Kane and Sterling.
1: There were some players mentioned in the piece as well and a couple I've thrown in myself in terms of the future. Maybe we should discuss this more. The future of England squad when we go to Qatar next year. Pakai Saka, Jude Bellingham have made their debuts under Southgate. As I mentioned, Connor Gallagher, Emil Smith-Rowe getting his first England goal against San Marino as well. Those players, do you see any of them over the next, well, not even 18 months, a year really, staking a claim, a, a real claim to be a, a f- at the forefront in terms of England's lineup?
2: I'm not entirely sure how they do that. I don't know. Would well, you Bellingham well, no, play well, Champions
1: the, League football? Yeah, oh, you mean for the country?
2: Yeah, no, I mean, I don't know how Southgate and his team decide some of those on the list are going to be one cat wonders or get very minimal. Exposure with the team after their cap, and how others are given many more chances, because it's not say it names. Shouldn't, it shouldn't on, just name be... name names.
1: Who are you Friend. thinking of? <laughs> Who's not getting the opportunity, <laughs> well, and, and who who is getting an opportunity they they don't deserve, in your opinion? Then?
2: No, no, no. It's th- there's a lot of talent there, but at some. I just feel I just feel Southgate's a bit of a people pleaser, and he li- I think he likes giving people their debut
4: boo and i think in this likes- horrible world there's not <laughs> wrong with people pleasers, Alison. Rudd. what is going on
2: you won you won be. tennis
4: this morning as well what is <laughs> happening
2: if i was england man it must be a lovely lovely thing to do to pick up the phone and tell somebody i'm choosing you for your country and your country is england it's not san marino it's england and you're gonna get a cap and you make someone happy and as we all know, they then do an in interview saying, oh, happy it's made their mum. And it's like... "I oh, yeah, <laughs> well, don't bring
4: the mums into it as well.
2: <laughs> so it's a lovely thing to do, but I just don't think it's terribly productive from a management point of view because you, you're you ju- you're just throwing a, you're a juggler and you're throwing another ball at you, another ball at you, and you're juggling more and more. And I don't know how you properly, properly assess how they're going to integrate. I'm a great believer in... I'd love England to have players in it that are non-fashionable, but they're there because... They just, they just, they just know how England tick, and they know how Gareth ticks, and they're always going to be there, regardless of whether they suddenly come through at Arsenal or Crystal Palace or whatever. That you're, you're picking a team that you know is your team rather than oh, Emil Smith Rowe. He's been playing really well. Come on, let's get him in. Let's get him in. You got, at some point, you've got to say stop. I've got sixty odd names on a list. I have to stop.
4: But I think he so, does have that, doesn't he? If we were going into a big game, he'd have a team. You know, it'd be Rice and Phillips and the defence that we know. It'd be Luke Shaw at left back. We know it. But I think when you look at the Gallagher's and the smith Rose, he's looking for that point of difference, which I think is to counter your point about in those moments where he's made the wrong decisions, he's not done the tactical tweak to win us the game, he's looking at some of those players. For example, a creative player in the central area. That's why he's tried Phil Foden. Conor Gallagher's showing potential in that role. Smith-Rowe. So no, they're not going to be starting necessarily for England but they could be coming off the bench for the last
3: 20 minutes to try and inf- impact the game I think it's a bit more than that I think it's about you know, including them like saying you're you you are on my radar and you could be a part of you know, you're on the right trajectory you could be a big part of England's future I, I kind of used to agree with Alison. I, remember, I was looking at this list and I, I remember when Tammy Abraham was giving his debut in 2017 he'd been on loan at Bristol City the year before he went to Swansea He played 11 Premier League games I think he scored 5 goals I remember like The summer before He got a new 50 grand a week Chelsea deal And I just remember thinking I can't remember a player Having done So little And been rewarded So much You know And
1: then Well if you look through The Chelsea Academy There's a few <laughs> But uh, for England Oh I see Being rewarded I, th- I thought you meant, he meant financially. financially rewarded but, <laughs> I, you know, thought, I thought you meant Financially the championship.
3: He was playing for Swansea His season kind of Went downhill after that As well Hudson Adoi, he played before he'd even started a Premier League game. So there are there have been moments in the last few years where I thought, yeah, this is odd. But I think it is about that collective idea. I think it's about a looking at them and saying, and b saying, you guys are on my mind, and you could be a part of England. You've got to, you know, you're you're close, and you could become a big part of the of the of the team if you continue on this on the same trajectory. So it's worked, let's be honest. Also, England, (laughs) the biggest thing when you look at this is England have so many good players. It's embarrassing. But
1: that that doesn't mean it works then, because you've got so many good players that it doesn't matter who you put on the list. You're going to have a good squad. The point is, the young players, for me, there are many who should be in the under-21s. And I know a couple of them were with the under-21s and came up because other players pulled out of the squad. But I think when you look at the overall picture... There are players who've been brought in, brought into the senior squad who've disappeared. They then don't go to the under-21s because apparently they feel like they are either senior players or they just want to, you know, sometimes use, that's their choice. They want to use their clubs exactly, and and they they don't want to come back into the international fold until they're in the seniors. So for me, that means it's been used the wrong way because there is still experience that they could be picking up being with the under-21s. And I don't feel like some of them, although they play for huge clubs, should be turning down the under 21. So he, he makes a rod for his own back in a way because he's including players who he said himself, he doesn't want to rush players into the senior squad. He said that about Emil Smith Rowe a week ago. Now he's starting a game during that same window. you know. So But for that me, was because people dropped out, though, to I, be fair. But to I, I understand that, but you don't have to call up someone from the under 21s. You can bring a senior player. So for for me it's it's it, when you make that choice everything that you've said goes out the window are you trying to rust them or not apparently not you've said it yourself but then you do it anyway so my point is what happens to Emil Smith-Rowe when everyone's fit he's not going to be in the England squad I know Arsenal could keep going with their form and he could keep improving but you think if everyone's fit he's not going to be in the 23 no
4: but he then has had a taste and experience of the seniors so that if then Jack Grealish and Phil Foden got injured then he can be called up with less concern about oh he's never been in before
3: and I think it's actually quite easy to outgrow the under 21s to be a regular in Arsenal's team or in Conor Gallagher's case, in Crystal Palace's team, to be standout players in the Premier League and then go play underage football is is a bit odd. odd I, I still
1: think the experience is valuable, even for players playing, because I think the idea of going away with a group of players that you don't play with every single day and having to go and win games with three days training is still an, a valuable experience, whether you're playing with Harry Kane or whether you're playing with, with Flo Balogun. For me, that is a valuable experience for a young player. And they're still inexperienced. All the games count.
3: For, well, I would just say that uh, I think, again, you've got to put the, your faith in, in Gareth Southgate to, to, to be judging this right, because he also, also obviously sees there's a value in including them in the group of the senior team. And if that means that they'll play fewer games for them the 21s in future... So be it.
2: We should abandon under twenty ones because the, the age that players are coming through now and blossoming Here. is so yeah. so Here. so much. <laughs> not higher. in San
3: Marino. England <laughs> wanted want <laughs> to throw out nations from new qualification and they want to disband under twenty ones yeah. all because you had a really good qualification group.
1: No, 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 no. <laughs> no, we under have to do it. In players. England we have lots of good players coming through at a young age. It's yeah. not the same really. it.
2: Just stick to under nineteens and then they go they're, they're, then they're ready. Look at look at look at how how young they're all they're all the, the reason he's making so many debutants is because its young players are blossoming younger players are coming through younger now and I can see why they're thinking under twenty one is a demotion because they've got peers playing for the national team who are like six months younger six month o- six months older. It's just not got the status anymore.
1: This piece is coming together. If I Had Power at the FA by Alison Rudd, it's taking shape. I'm just saying, get, rid, a of, revolution. get rid of under-21s <laughs> and don't pick anyone over the age of 28, 28 either because they're all too old, I imagine. Um, finally on this, Alison, um, the final point made uh, in the piece by Willis Bennett. Why can't Jack Grealish feature more often for England?
2: Oh, I suspect it's... Uh, personality issue actually I suspect either in training or direction given by Southgate Grealish has not done as he's been asked or there's a sense that he is so free-spirited and the way his career has been forged it was almost like he ran Aston Villa had freedom Dean Smith gave him freedom to do what he wanted at Aston Villa because it worked and that doesn't work for Gareth Southgate and he doesn't like players to be too, yeah, I can do everything. And I, I, I think he gives him a role and he doesn't probably stick to the role. Or if he does stick to the role, he looks uncomfortable in the role because he's not playing his normal natural game. I think there's probably a very slight disconnect at what he wants Grealish to do and what he actually does. Whereas he's got some very willing, I mean, I think someone like Phil Foden probably does to the absolute letter exactly what Southgate wants and he can change him positionally and he says, yes, boss, and does it exactly. There's just, there's just that, that sort of free spirit to Grealish, which I think he probably thinks I can do without it actually. Don't need it.
4: I think Alison's probably right. I think when we t- a lot of the things we've talked about with Gareth Southgate in terms of, you know, if we were coming to a big game, knowing what his, his team would be, knowing what his starting eleven would be, often being criticised for that slight pragmatic approach. It comes down to that. I want, I want Mason Mount over Jack Grealish because Mason Mount will track back that little bit more. is slightly more effective at pressing opposition defenders. Jack Grealish is a marvellous player and incredibly talented, but when it comes down to those moments, the fine margins, the games when you need to win 1-0 or by one goal against teams like Denmark and Colombia in international tournaments... You're going to pick those players, I think, if you're Gareth South.
1: All right, that's England sorted. I think we're done on that conversation. They are through to the World Cup finals. Not going to be as easy for the other home nations if they've got any chance left at all. We'll discuss them next. But remember, if you're enjoying the podcast, rate us, leave us a review and make sure you're subscribed.
0: VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen.
4: VoiceOver on, settings.
0: So you can navigate it just by listening.
4: Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10
3: to 11.
0: And get on with your day. Accessibility, there's more to iPhone. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring.
1: Well, elsewhere in World Cup qualification in UEFA, of course, Wales are facing Belgium this evening. They do, though, have a playoff spot already confirmed through the Nations League. A point would virtually guarantee them a home playoff. Northern Ireland sent Italy, the European champions, into the playoffs with a great goalless draw at Windsor Park. A game they really should have won, in my opinion, but they did allow Switzerland to qualify automatically. So Italy joined Portugal in the playoffs. Not great news. For the likes of Scotland, who did earn themselves a playoff spot, they had a 2-0 win over Moldova that guaranteed it, but a fantastic 2-0 home win over Denmark made it six straight wins to end their qualification campaign. Steve Clark's side playing very, very well and a home playoff at well as well at Hamden, which I think will be sensational. Go on then, Gregor. How good are you feeling about Scotland right now? How much have they improved under Steve Clark?
2: Before Gregor how long have you got? (laughs) Before Gregor speaks, because this is audio Gregor looks like six-year-old in a toilet <laughs> I
3: feel like it honestly this is uh, you'll think I'm being crazy here but it's the best probably the best team I've witnessed like I even mean, thinking back to better than 98 absolutely we were a team of triers with like John Collins as a flash of quality and now I look at the team and suddenly I'd say a, aside from centre, centre forward and centre half we are well stocked with like Seriously, classy footballers.
1: Key key areas of the pitch, but
3: yeah. But 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 the thing is, the thing is, the thing that Clark has done is he's seen an opportunity in that. So he's handed Lyndon Dykes, Che, che Adams, who was outstanding against Denmark, uh, opportunities. And at centre half, people like Andy Considine who's like a, in his mid thirties, Aberdeen, and he was the guy who came in and the yes or I can boogie thing. All of this, he, <laughs> Declan Gallagher, another guys guys who play in Scotland, John Souter last night who scored. He's had. I think three Achilles ruptures, like he's a nightmare. Three years, he just give. He, he sees an opportunity, and he doesn't care where you're playing. And the guys are stepping up to the plate. And it's and there's obviously a real kind of collective spirit about the about the the squad as well. So absolutely, this is. You know, we've still got to qualify. We can't get too carried away. But this is the best team I can remember witnessing. Really, in life What does it
2: mean? You're seeded now. I know you. Does that purely mean you've got a home game, or does it affect the opposition at all?
3: Yeah, it affects the opposition. So, mm. so you, will you we avoid, avoid Italy? Avoid Italy and Portugal in the semi final, and we have a home game. So, it was big. Look, the other yeah. thing to see is we could we had eight players on bookings. Steve Clark could quite easily have gone with qualified because obviously the Moldova game sealed qualification. See, you're playing against one of the best teams in Europe currently who are on track to have a 100% record in the group qualifying, who conceded their first goal against the Pharaohs on Friday. Like, we could have gone. All right, we'll we'll rest a few. Let's just take it easy, he said. Let's go for it. Let's go for it. And th- that's kind of a, a shift in mindset as well, I think. And you could see it in their play. No one got booked. They were, but they were full of intensity and hunger and drive and snapping at the tackles. And John McGinn, I just I can't say enough about this guy. <laughs> He's like the most adored Scottish footballer for at least a decade. I'm trying to think back. James McFadden was really loved for Scotland as well, but. He's 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 something else. Everyone talks about the size of his backside and he used it to great effect against Moldova. <laughs> but his little back heel, he's yeah. got some quality as well. Mm. And when Clark plays him in a more advanced role, he's outstanding. He he's hounding players, but he's got a bit of quality about him as well. He's been you know, Nathan Patterson who came in uh, in the first game, he was brilliant. So like and I, I've said so much about, about Billy Gilmore, he's been transformative because the speed and the kind of slickness of the passing in midfield now has been transformed since he since he came into the team. There was, mm. a, there was a move in the first half against Denmark where we played out of defence, looking at triangles in midfield, and Ryan Christie played outside of the football through for Andy Robertson, Ballmer, through. and that didn't look
1: like Scotland. He's got 10 caps, Billy Gilmore. He's just 20 years old, so you know what that means. Scrap the Scotland under-21s, of course, because <laughs> it's just a total waste of time, obviously. <laughs> what do you think it would mean, Gregor, I will go back to you on this, if Scotland do make it through... To the to the World Cup, just for the nation.
3: Look, it's already been a huge turnaround in the nation's attitude and kind of love for the for its football team. You saw like there was a sellout crowd. There there's not been many sellouts at Hamden for quite a long time. Um and there's been two in a row now. And you know, you saw midway through the second half the team the the, the, the crowd belting out the national anthem with their phones kind of a lit Mm. And like you're seeing something, they're seeing a response, and I think the players love it as well. You know, there's a bit of connection, and absolutely, but that's already there. We, clearly, we need to go one step further. But you know, you, you name these teams. There's some big, big nations in the, in the, in the. Um, what are they called now? The players. Playoffs, sorry, yeah. Main, there's some big nations in the playoffs, but Scotland at home first in the semi-final. And we've just beaten one of the one of the top teams in Europe. I, I don't think we've got much to fear right now.
2: There's a bigger fairy tale in all of this qualification process, though, which I do feel I want to mention, which is Serbia and Aleksandra Mitrovic, who missed the penalty that meant Serbia did not make the Euros, but he scored the winning goal to beat a very, very strong Portugal team. And I just want to say that it's been like one of those weird things that Mitrovic is on fire in the Championship and he barely summoned a shot in the Premier League. And there's this thing, oh, well, you know, obviously defense defences in the championship are just not good enough. And that's all it is. But that Portugal defence was, you know, a star level. And I'm just so pleased for him because it must be difficult to have. We talk about clubs having yo-yo careers. He's an individual with a yo-yo career. And he's hit absolute rock bottom because he is the most passionate player for his country I've ever interviewed. He loves his country. And for it to be sort of his fault that they didn't make the Euros and to have got them through um, for the for the World Cup, I think, is as a is a beautiful, beautiful story.
4: And a beautiful story that you can read more about Hugh in the Times oh, yeah. today, because Bill Edgar's written a fantastic stats fest all about Mitrovic. And he scored forty four goals in 69 games for Serbia, which is pretty remarkable. But he's only scored one penalty. And he's only played the full 90 in 29 of those 69 <laughs> games. That is pretty remarkable, as Allison
1: says. Uh, listen, I, I really like Mitrovic. I just don't think he has the attitude to play a lower half team in the Premier League. He gets really frustrated when he doesn't score. He's just one of those people. He just can't stand it when he doesn't score. He loves it when he does. He's got a big smile on his face. I've been to Fulham during the playoffs where there was no crowd. And honestly, Mitrovic was cheering on his team. He was injured for the whole game just bellowing out from Craven Cottage. But you see him when he was at Newcastle and when Fulham were in the lower end of the Premier League. And obviously it's very frustrating for a striker when you're not at a great side. And he just he's just not the same character. And I think when he's happy, he scores loads of goals. And when he's not, he doesn't. So it's nothing to do with the championship. It's to do with him. If he can find some sort of happiness and joy scoring seven goals a season at the bottom end of the Premier League then I think we'd see him in the bottom end of the Premier League. And he's made a bunch of money too, so I don't feel sorry for him. He's got
4: a better goals per game internationally than Cristiano Ronaldo. Just yeah, hashtag yeah. just
1: saying. Well, Ronaldo's obviously average, isn't he? I was
3: just going to say, he needs to take a, <laughs> a leaf out of G Adams book, really, I think.
1: Yeah, play for Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> it's too late for that. Listen, Mitrovic and Serbia had a fantastic evening out in Portugal. So thank you, Alison, for mentioning that. And they, look, there were some shocks and obviously the playoffs will be very interesting given some of the big, big names that will be in it. We'll come back to international football, I guess, a little bit later on by talking about the greatest British player of all time to end the podcast. But up next, we're going to talk about Dean Smith, who's got the manager's job at Norwich. The former Aston Villa manager, Dean Smith, named the Norwich City head coach on a a two-and-a-half-year deal. He was appointed just eight days after being sacked at Villa Park, and he, of course, replaces Daniel Farker. He will be a quiz answer for years to come, because when he returns to the Premier League, he will manage back-to-back games against the same opponent, Southampton. That is the first time it's happened in Premier League history. Um, He was off on holiday and had to come back to get his contract sorted at Carrow Road. Is it a good appointment, Tom? What do you think?
4: Yeah, definitely. Much better than Frank Lampard, I would say, if I had the choice between the two. Look, Norwich look incredibly leaky at the back. We talked on a previous show about Dean Smith and we all felt unanimously that he should have been given more time at Villa. Allison mentioned it, what he did in terms of making them more solid after the kind of coronavirus break and making sure they stayed up. If he can have that same simple impact at Norwich that gives them the fighting chance and I think that's probably one of the reasons he was chosen that kind of tactical tweak that he showed at Villa well probably more than a tweak but that kind of work if he can do that at Norwich then it'll be a good appointment because it at least then gives them a solid foundation and it gives them a fighting chance because at the minute you know all the debate is around what's the point of Norwich in the Premier League Dean Smith can hopefully give them a point.
3: Kenny? I think that's his biggest challenge actually just kind of being able to change the mindset and we've got Southampton, Wolves and Newcastle next and it would be very important for him if he's going to have, have any chance in changing that mindset to get some points in those games so I think he needs to hit the ground running he doesn't have the same tools to work with defensively, you know I've spoken about Gibson, Hanley Kabak, they've not looked great There'd been an issue at left back too Brandon Williams was improved against uh, Brentford but he's had a pretty tough start to his career at Carroll Road Look, there's, there's some some easy wins I think and one is putting Billy Gilmore and I don't speak with absolute <coughs> bias there but it's no problem and Todd Cantwell because he's it's been very strange with a team that's got such a dearth of creativity that he's been banished to the under 23s I think you know Todd Cantwell there kind of Instagram posts saying thanks for the memories and stuff to Daniel Fark, but also added that we didn't always see eye to eye. And, you know, I think that was being quite diplomatic. Um, they've had enjoyed a bit of a fiery relationship. So I think getting him back in the fold is a no brainer. Um, and, and Billy Gilmore finding, you know, he, he started four of the first five games and then he's not been seen even off the bench since. So, you know, we've seen how, we've seen in the last week how good he is. Um, so the other thing is, I th- I think this is quite interesting. about this is part of the reason he lost his job at Villa was the fact that they lost a big a big player in the team, and the money it was spent on his replacements haven't hit the ground running. Norwich did the same, and the player the player they, one of the players they signed to replace him was to pre- replace Grealish was Buendia and the players that Norwich have brought in since haven't hit the ground running. So much as it would have been the case if he'd stayed at Villa, getting the most from those new arrivals will be equally as important at Norwich. Um, and I think probably will define whether he's a success or a failure this season.
2: I think Norwich are, are quite lucky, actually, because they've got a respected and very good, passionate coach who has a point to prove. I was trying to explain to someone why on earth, if you're Dean Smith, you don't think, oh, you know, Villa were my childhood club, it was my ultimate job. They've let me go, I'm just going to take a break. And there's a lot of reasons why he's not taking a break. There are more would-be coaches than there are jobs. So if there's a a club interested in you, you can't afford to take a holiday. You have to take the job that's come up. And also, it must feel strange. It's not a normal sacking, I don't think, with Dean Smith. I think he genuinely was shocked. I think he felt he could turn it around. And he's being given a chance. It's not with Villa. It's It's not like Villa changed their mind about Stephen Gerrard and said sorry we made a mistake because the media backlash has been really horrible we don't want that image but he has been given an immediate chance to show that the, with parallel problems and there are I mean the worse problems at Norwich but they're parallel he, he, can show, he can show Villa that they were wrong if it wasn't Stephen Gerrard in charge at Villa I would say I'd really like Norwich to escape and Villa to go down now but uh, I'm not going <laughs> to say that
3: now no, I, think, I, I think it's a good fit I think you know, Norwich have been slagged off a lot <laughs> because of how kind of how weak their their uh, the performance was the last time in the Premier League and the start of the season. You know, they're you know, accused of lacking of ambition and whatnot. But like a big club, passionate fan base, good infrastructure, and he's got twenty seven games to keep a club in the Premier League. I don't think he's, there's any other team in the Premier League would probably give him a job. He would probably be looking at a Championship job. Uh, well, he, cool. he he
1: is essentially looking at a championship job given Norwich
3: well you can say that but position. he's got 27 games to to change that
2: and his reputation won't be dented if they do uh, exactly. go down as long as they go down with more fight than they're currently showing exactly can, he, he, can, can you yeah. keep
3: them up I don't think it's beyond the realms but I think defensively uh, they are they are in trouble still so not what
1: not do you sure. what, what do you think
3: no well I mean I'd said they'd go down
4: on a previous show so I can't change my mind now just because they've got Dean Dean Smith Smith.
1: no but I think what he'll do if they sign Messi
4: you could change your mind why can't you change your mind about the manager he wouldn't fit they've got Todd Cantwell Um, (laughs) (laughs) but I think just going back to another point Gregor made about you know morale being quite low and Cantwell sending messages on Instagram when you think about Smith Jack Grealish putting messages on social media about how brilliant people love him he's clearly a very very popular coach as well as you know having something about him in terms of his footballing management ability he's clearly a very popular man and I think that's why it's another good appointment for Norwich a club where they're feeling a little bit down in the dumps everyone's giving them a kicking on the pitch and off the pitch someone like Dean Smith is a good appointment for that so I don't think they'll keep him up but I think he will definitely improve
1: their season. I like Dean Smith, but I don't know. I just don't know about this one. You're a Smith sceptic, aren't you? Yeah, I was unconvinced by, you know, maybe it was just the um, luck that kept them in the Premier League the first time around. Obviously, they finished 11th last season, which is a fantastic achievement, but without Jack Grealish, they were a very poor side. So... The fact that that he couldn't get them to a better place without Grealish on the pitch. And I know everyone's affected by losing their best player. But the fact that it all gravitated around him was, for me, it, it says a little bit about the tactics. And obviously, when he left, the tactics this season haven't been great. And he's lost five in a row and he's got sacked. So I'll wait and see. I think I'm not going to judge him on this season, though. I, I want to see what he does if they do get relegated. Um, in the championship next year, if he brings them back up, I will change my opinion completely on Dean Smith. Oh, but I if you were Delia
2: you. Smith, who would you wouldn't get Pochettino in, would you? I mean, you've got to be realistic.
1: Well, why wouldn't you get Pochettino in? I don't.
2: <laughs> he, he
1: seems to be the better manager of the two. If you had the chance,
2: but he's not. But you're, you're not. Your Pochettino is not going to Carrow Road.
1: No, I, I know that. But I, listen, I'm not. I'm not here saying that they should have hired someone else in particular. I'm just saying I have my reservations about the quality. tactically in particular of Dean Smith as as a manager I
2: think a cross Dean Smith is going to be a very good Dean Smith
1: okay well we'll wait and see how cross he is then when he takes on Southampton at the weekend and we'll see if he gets Norwich to winning ways uh, as well up next we're going to talk about the greatest British player of all time stay with us on the game Right, to end this week's podcast, Arthur Gareth Bale's 100th Wales cap. You can, by the way, read uh, a great profile of his career, his life journey. It was written by Gary Jacob. We've done some great work over the last few days on Wales. So just search for Gareth Bale if you've got the Times app or you're on the website. It has led to a further debate, though, in the uh, Times today. Who is the greatest British player of all time? Bale, 100 Wales caps. He's been sensational. He's won himself four Champions Leagues as well. And and some people, particularly in the modern era, regard him as the greatest British player. But there are some big names with even bigger views. Henry Winter, says Bobby Charlton of England. Jonathan Northcroft, uh, representing Scotland, has gone for Dennis Law. Alison Rudd says Wales John Charles at Michael Grant Scotland there Graham Sooness incredible shout Gary Jacob says Gareth Bale of Wales James Gearbrand Wayne Rooney of England Gregor Robertson the man himself Kenny Dalgleish of Scotland and Paul Hurst representing Northern Ireland with the greatest shout for me Georgie Best so who do we think it is Tom? It's none of them obviously <laughs> <laughs> obviously no I I mean there's lots and lots of
4: excellent shouts there but I mean I'm, I, I was thinking it in the context of a great story now, Hugh, I love a, I love a rom-com me. Mm-hmm. I, li- I like a happy story. That's why I was having a go at Alison earlier for, you know, let's just enjoy ourselves. <laughs> and in the international context, you don't get many better narratives than David Beckham's. Sent off against Argentina, scores the penalty a few years later. And also... The lad was a trier I love a trier as well I don't think he was particularly naturally blessed with footballing ability he just worked really hard at taking really really good free kicks corners and set pieces and crossing the ball and he loved playing for England and he had a phenomenal trophy record as well so I'm going to go for Beck's.
2: But he didn't have to juggle national service with football, did he? No, no, he didn't. That's a proper romantic story. He
4: did have to juggle dating Victoria Beckham, which you know is <laughs> a, similar. Is a hell of an ask, I'd say.
1: I, I'm, what, just, I'm, what just, what woman, I'm just, just another p- another point for the piece there. Bring back national service for England, footballers, <laughs> footballers, says Alison Rudd. Um, but David Beckham, I do think I do think he's underrated. Even you there saying he wasn't that. Gifted, he was actually. No,
4: he was, but do you it, know what I mean? In context of George Best, the last player you mentioned yeah, in that, absolutely. List, yeah, absolutely, yeah.
1: In the context of the others, yes, but I think he, you know, he was a grafter. I agree with you on that. He had some phenomenal parts of his game, actually. Yeah. I think if England had him now, particularly towards the end of his career, late 20s, when he could have played central midfield, we would love it right now, to be perfectly honest. What you're looking for here, we're looking for someone who's
3: iconic status, north and south of the border, for two of the biggest clubs in. Britain during their peak years Uh, he won nine major trophies for Celtic Kenny Dalglish and 15 for Liverpool including three European Cups and six league titles he's still Scotland's most capped player 102 he's tied with Dennis Law on 30 goals I think that's hard to beat would you not agree Alison?
2: Of course Kenny's a Kenny's a giant of the game but he's not the greatest British footballer of all time because that's John Charles because that's who I argued. for, <laughs> <laughs> Who did have to juggle national service, who was as brilliant as a center back as he was as a center forward. None of the people in the list have that, can do that. They could play equally well at the back or up front. He he was at Leeds United. He went to Juventus. I mean, th- I mean it, unbelievably he he just he just stormed Serie A, came third in the Ballon d'Or. I even like the fact when he came back to Britain, he struggled because he'd become so imbued with the Italian style of football. He couldn't cope with the English game anymore. And uh, everyone who was involved says if he had been fit in the 1958 World Cup for their game against Brazil, they would have won the World Cup. I think think his story is just so romantic, if you want to talk about romance, Tom.
1: Fair play. I I like it. I like John Charles. I've seen... Very, very little I have well, to admit. I agree.
2: But the, the
1: tales of John Charles are up there, I think. But I, I, it's hard to look beyond Gareth Bale, who I think, without injury, imagine Gareth Bale if he'd been fit for like fifty percent of his career. And come on, the other fifty percent, obviously. But I mean, just imagine how good he would have been. The moments that he's given us in the modern era. Let's let's take it from nineteen ninety onwards. I know, but he's as known as for his golf as
4: much as his football. And I don't think you can be the greatest if that's part of your part of your narrative we're heading
1: down the narrative oh, is, it, is it narratives now is it I, look, it's always narratives it's since, always narratives it's my favourite word since 1990 <laughs> firstly every professional footballer is very good at golf since 1990 so but they don't, don't have a, a chant
4: they don't have a chant about it Wales golf Madrid. come on
1: I think, uh, yeah. I, I, do you know what though? I think I do think Hursty's shout on George Best. Come on. I mean, yeah. That's
4: that's that's the easy one. I was discussing it with him. And I was like, you're going to go for George Best. He's like, yeah, I'm going to win this. Aren't <laughs> I? <definitely. laughs>
2: has the vote? Have the, have, has the voting closed?
4: No, no. So the readers will be able do to you want to go for a poll. second
1: name, dude. <laughs> yeah,
4: Alison's like, well, just now we're on it. You know I mean?
1: Can we edit the piece? I don't I want to take. No, John Charles is a fantastic shout. Some great players there. As I say, the only name I disagree with, Graham Sunis. Come on, Michael Grant. What were you thinking? Um, listen, thanks for being with us on the game podcast plenty still to come we'll be back on thursday so thanks for waiting an extra 24 hours Um, remember if you're enjoying the podcast rate us uh, leave us a review make sure you're subscribed and make sure you're subscribed to the times and the sunday times as well if you sign up today you will get yourself one month free just go online to check it out it's thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game we'll see you on thursday take care
0: IOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing.